um, Matthew uh, chapter 5. If you're visiting us, we've been looking at a series on what's known as the Beatitudes. It comes from uh, the word being blessed, uh, the Greek translation. And it's a series of statements that Jesus made in his early ministry, uh, particularly to his disciples, uh, but I think probably to a wider audience as well. And we've been uh, looking at this whole idea of these statements leading to what is a flourishing life, a life that actually, when we get hold of them and understand what they mean, our lives should indeed flourish. And it's a very sort of topsy-turvy list. Is perhaps when you read them, they don't quite make sense. They don't sort of read naturally for our, our sort of modern day English in terms of common understanding. But actually, Jesus is talking about something that is upside down to what the world will see. And we are this morning in verse 7. Uh, let me just read them through again, just to remind us. Uh, but we're looking at particularly verse 7 this morning. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Father, as we come back to this uh, familiar passage, uh, we ask, Lord, for your help to afresh receive from you. Lord, we take ourselves... uh, back to that mountainside when you first spoke these words to your disciples. And I'm sure at their time they would have wondered what perhaps you were saying and and this whole sense of an upside down world thinking. And yet, Lord, as we delve in, as we understand, as we consider all that you said, Lord, we ask that we would receive these words afresh. And Father, as we do, as we understand them, Lord, our lives indeed would be flourishing lives, lives full of abundance and fruit and grace and love. And Lord, that our lives would be reflective of who you are and what you have done. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at this morning, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, often when we look at words, we can come to a sort of definition of what we think they might mean. So I just want us to start off in understanding what we perceive the word mercy to actually mean. You can often hear it in terms of, uh, particularly in in, in the Christian world, of some mercy ministries, a, a sense of 
compassion and kindness to people. That uh, in in mercy we're going out to help people and to support them and to care for them. Well, in one sense that isn't totally wrong, but I don't think that's what Jesus is specifically talking about. Sometimes it's helpful to put the word that we're looking at, at alongside another word that perhaps we're familiar with and sort of make a little bit of a comparison of, okay, what is the difference between that word and this word? And often with the word mercy, we often use the word grace. Now, grace, grace is, a, a, is, an, is a theological understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And often we use it in our world. Uh, world outside these doors probably aren't quite so familiar with it. But in terms of understanding grace, understanding mercy, let me put these two little definitions up for you that might help us define what mercy is. So let's look at grace first. So grace is getting something that we don't deserve. All right. So Jesus has given us eternal life. It's not something that we've deserved. It's something we've earned. It's not something that we've achieved a bar for and, and we get over the bar and, and suddenly eternal life is ours. Grace is something that has been given to us, that's something we just don't deserve. But mercy, in the contrast to that, is not getting what we do deserve. We do deserve God's punishment. We do deserve God's judgment because of our sin. And because he's merciful, he doesn't give us that. You see the difference? Grace is getting something that we don't deserve. And mercy is not getting something we do deserve. God blesses us not because we are good people, but because he's a good God. That's why he blesses us. You should receive blessing from God. So I thought, oh, I've done so well this week. You know, I'm a knight in shining armor. My Bible's been opened every day. I prayed every day. God, thank you for your blessing. No, no, no. He's blessed me because he blesses me. He blesses you because he blesses you, not because you're good, but because he is a good God. Without mercy, we don't receive the blessing. Mercy, we deserve judgment. If you like, remember you use the phrase, perhaps, perhaps you still use the phrase, it's of getting away with murder. Remember that happened ever in your family sort of situations with your, your, yourselves or your, your children or whatever? It's, you know, they've got away with it. It's like getting away with murder. Well, that's mercy. That is mercy. We've got away with it. And somehow in this amazing life that Jesus has given us, he's allowed us to get away with it because he is gracious towards us. Paul writes about this in Titus. Oops. This is what he wrote to Titus. He saved us. Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Jesus saves us, not because we're good. Jesus saves us, not because we're clever. Jesus saves us, not because we have the ability even to receive him. Even that is a gift of faith that he plants in our hearts. When we say, Lord, I recognize what you've done. It's a gift that he's given us. Nothing in ourselves can receive that. It's his gift to us. His mercy is withheld. So with this little understanding of what Paul wrote to 
Titus, maybe we can just redefine our little statements on grace and mercy. God gives us even though we eternal life, even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. Even this morning, if somebody responds to the gospel for the first time, that is the work of grace because they don't deserve it. It's a gift. And God does not give us condemnation, condemnation and judgment, even though we deserve it. That is mercy. It's more than just going to help people. Do you see that? It's the withholding of something that we deserve. It's merciful. It's more than kindness and compassion. Mercy will always assume that we, you and I, have done something wrong and you're not getting what you deserve. It's a truth that permeates all the way through the New Testament. How does God show mercy to people? People who have offended him, those who've hurt him, those who've sinned against him. He's shown it because he loves them and he's for them and he wants to see them not eternally separated. That's God's mercy towards us. He's withheld it from us and he wants to show his kindness to us. It's an amazing, and you know, as we honestly, honestly, if we get hold of this stuff, it's like dynamite. So, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. Just go back to my normal life. Oh, Jesus did this for me. I'll just go. It's dynamite when we realize the eternal nature that we have, and that He's welcomed us into His presence. But Jesus has shown us mercy, not because we just need to receive it but that we also would be merciful. That we would be like him in the same way that he has shown to you and to me this amazing, abundant grace and mercy. He now calls us to do the same thing. Oh, well, this gets a little bit harder. This is where the screw gets turned a little bit more. It's tough. It's tough being merciful to people because you want to say, oh, they just so deserve what's coming to them. You've been in your car. And somebody cuts you up. Pauline's looking, oh, I've been in my car. I've been in Pauline's car. <laughs> and you want to get on the horn. Oh, they deserve it. They shouldn't have done that. There's a nature in us that we don't want to be merciful to them. Rather than actually, no, you just pull in front of me and make me break hard. That's fine. I'll let you get away with it. We want to see people pay when they've done wrong. But Jesus calls us, just as we've received mercy and have not been condemned for it, so shall we also be the same. I don't want your sin wiped out is often how we think. That is letting you off the hook. That is you getting away with murder. But Jesus calls us to go and do the same thing. So why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to be merciful to people? Or is it just me? It is hard, isn't it? Let's have a little look at a story a bit further into uh, Matthew's gospel. It's in Matthew 18, if you're flicking through your Bibles, put it on the screen. 
you will uh, recognize this uh, little encounter between Peter and Jesus. Peter thought he was doing quite well in this passage, as Peter often thinks he's doing quite well and realizes that he's probably just very much like us. So Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven, depending on which translation uh, you have. So at this moment, Peter is thinking that he is being hyper generous to whoever has caused him hurt or what has sinned against him. He's thinking in his rabbinical mindset that he knows that the law says that you have to forgive somebody three times when they've done something wrong against you. And so somebody comes and does wrong and says, Ben, Ben upsets me. And I say, that's okay, Ben, I forgive you. It's quite often this happens. Surely not. Second time comes around, Ben's on his Xbox again. I said, Ben, you know, we've already talked about this. Oh, I'm sorry, Dad. That's all right, Ben. I forgive you. Third time around, he's doing something else. He says, I said, Ben, what are you doing? I'm really, 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 really sorry, Dad. I, I ask for your forgiveness. That's okay, Ben. I forgive you. This is how Peter's thinking. I've done my three forgivenesses. Ben comes a fourth time and he's done wrong. Ooh, the ground's looking shaky. Ben, I've told you three times not to do that. I'm not forgiving you. That's what Peter would have had in his mind. That's what the law indicated for him to do. I'm going to forgive you three times. If you come and do it a fourth time, that's it. Sorry. So in this little discussion with, with Jesus, he's thinking, do you know what? If I double it and add one, I'll forgive him seven times. I'm doing really, really, really well. And yet Jesus says, actually, do you know what? You're not even hitting the mark. Mercy is eternal. It's Jesus isn't just, okay, now count up to 77 times. He's, he's basically saying, in comparison to what you're doing, it's, it's infinite. It's every time. Every time Ben comes to me, Ben, I forgive you. It's every time. Every time someone comes to us, we are to show mercy as Jesus has shown us mercy. And Jesus being Jesus is the perfect preacher at all times. He gives an illustration. He goes on to say, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At this, the, ner the, nervant, the servant fell on his knees. 
before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. He cancelled the debt and he let him go. Should he have been let off? Should he have been given the way out? Should he have repaid his debt? The story is of grace and mercy shown to the servant by the master. So this servant who's now been released of his debt, no longer under the bondage, goes on. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owned him, owed him a hundred silver coins. The debt, notice, is less. It was gold coins. Now it's silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant, this sounds familiar, fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me, with me and I will pay you back. What does the servant do? He refuses. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went back and told their master everything that had happened. Mercy that we have received, we are to be merciful at all times, in all situations. I want you to be clear, though, that this sense of eternal forgiveness that Jesus shows us, that he's shown us mercy, he wants us to be merciful. Why is it then we still have to keep coming back to him and asking for his forgiveness when we've done something wrong? Do you do that? You say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I just mucked up again. I said the wrong thing. I was this, I was that. I was the other. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Is there any sense in as we receive this amazing mercy that has set us free, that somehow in me doing something wrong means that I now lose my salvation? Oh, my goodness, I need to keep my repentance list short in case I lose my salvation. And, and Lord, please ask, I ask for your forgiveness. Please don't get this confused with your eternal salvation. When we come to Jesus and we ask him to be Lord of our lives, we say, Lord, I believe everything you did for me on the cross, you took my sin, the punishment that I deserved, you've taken from me, you've been merciful to me, you've shown me grace, is eternal and it's secure and it cannot be taken away. All right? You must get that clear in your minds. But when we sin, when we do do things wrong, which we do, we, it's like a rift becomes between us and God. Our salvation is secure, but there's this sort of rift between us. And if you can imagine it a little bit, perhaps uh, in a, a family relationship, marriage relationship, even a, a son and daughter, parent-child relationship, maybe family members. You know when something happens where you don't quite agree on things? It never happens in our house. When you don't agree and, and, and you have a little bit of a moment, there's like, it's a little bit of a moment, there's like this rift between us. Does that mean I don't love 
Catherine anymore? Does that mean I don't love the kids anymore when they've done things wrong? Not me, when they've done things wrong. And there's this little rift between us. No, no, no. I love them just the same. But there is a rift that needs healing. And that's just like our relationship with God, that he loves us eternally. He's given us salvation. He's given us eternal life. But when we don't show mercy and when we're not gracious, it's just like this rift that comes. And actually, it it's, should be sobering to us. Actually, I hate it when we have spats at home. Most of them are because of me. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> they are basically because of me. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Just preach it. When we have spats, dad's got grumpy. Dad's got upset about something. Dad's this, dad's that, dad's the other. And actually, there's a rift and it, and it just creates an unpleasant and an unhappy home. But actually, when we're doing well, when we're walking well together, it's completely different. And it's the same with God. When I recognize the mercy that has been shown to me and I'm able to show mercy to others, my walk with God is so much better. Forgiving people is incredibly hard. It's not a light thing. There are things that have happened in my life that I've had to battle through in forgiveness. Battle through in forgiveness. There are things that you will have walked through where things have happened to you that you will do the same. Paul reminds us in a couple of passages. Let's just move on. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as Christ God forgave you. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just in the same way Jesus has forgiven us. He also writes in Colossians this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, what should we do? Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. See, Jesus has set the hallmark for us in these Beatitudes. Blessed are those who have received mercy. Blessed are those. This whole sense of a flourishing life comes because we've received mercy and we give mercy. We show mercy. We demonstrate mercy to one another. This is Jesus' example to us. When do we receive the blessing of being receiving mercy? When we are merciful. When we are merciful. Do you know what? When God blesses us, it isn't often out of our brilliantly well-orchestrated lives. Do you know, you've seen that? You just, you just see, sometimes see situations where you think, why is that blessing happening in that situation at the moment when we know all this is happening in the background? Because I believe that God has a principle of when we show mercy, because we've received mercy, somehow the blessing comes. Even when we don't do things particularly well. 
you think about King David in the Old Testament? Um, David had an interesting life, if you know anything about David's life. But at this point, I just want to talk about is the point where he is being chased by Saul. So Saul is after David's life. And most of the commentators think in this moment where he's literally hunting David down to kill him, they reckon this went on for about 13 to 15 years. I thought it was shorter than that, but that's what most commentators, they think somewhere around 13 to 15 years, David is on the run. He's hiding in caves. He's trying to outwit Saul to get away from him. This is David. This is the life that he's having to live, looking over his shoulder every day. And I wonder whether even in David's heart, he might have been thinking, do you know, I've, I've been all right. I've done okay at this point. And yet I'm being hunted down like a dog. Almost a sort of justification maybe in his heart that he hadn't done anything particularly wrong at this moment, and yet Saul is after him. And there are two moments in this period, in this 13 to 15 year period, where God opens a door for David to take Saul's life. There's a moment that, if you like it, well, just simply, the door opens, and there's an opportunity that David even though he hadn't done anything wrong at this point, could have taken Saul's life. And do you remember the moment where Saul was sleeping and uh, David goes into the camp and as Saul is sleeping, he picks up his spear and David's servants are saying, come on, David, you can just, this is your moment. This is a moment you can just mm, get him. Well, he won't know it. This is your time. God's given you this opportunity. And David does what? He shows mercy to Saul. Did Saul deserve it? Quite possibly. Did David have to give him mercy? No. But he chose to spare Saul in that moment. And if you, if you know the story, he climbs up onto a, up onto a ledge and he shouts down to, uh, to Saul and says, Saul! God! has opened a door. I could have taken your life, but I have shown you mercy. I've shown you mercy. And then if you know, as David's life, as he went on, he becomes king. He does some pretty immoral behavior, doesn't he? He takes another man's wife. He sends her husband out onto the front line so he could be gone. And yet somehow, God still blesses David. And just like, well, God, this doesn't compute. My tick list of, that's good, that's good, that's bad, that's bad. bad." And yet you still seem to want to bless. And I think part of this story of David in God's hand of anointing on him was that he knew how to show mercy. He knew how to demonstrate mercy around him. Blessed are the merciful as they show mercy. Blessed are those who show forgiveness. Blessed are those who show grace because they have received grace. Now, I think when we're talking about forgiveness and mercy, 
there are probably two things I think that I've seen over the years that I want you to be clear on what mercy doesn't mean in terms of this outworking. So we've received mercy. We are to be merciful. First thing I want to say is people can abuse mercifulness. People can abuse mercifulness. And what I mean by that is you could be in a situation, perhaps an abusive situation, something like that, where Jesus has shown you mercy and he calls you to be merciful to those around you. But being merciful to somebody who has caused you abuse doesn't mean that you just welcome them back into your life. It's not an excuse for, I've written down here, emotional manipulation. All right? It's really important for you to know that. Merciful doesn't mean you just wipe away the slate and not recognize what might have happened previously. Yes, you show forgiveness, but mercy doesn't open the door for that situation to just come back and haunt you. All right? So that's, I want you to be clear. If you're thinking, oh my goodness, if, if I really take this to the core of what Jesus is saying, that might mean. I want to say to you, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. And secondly, when we show mercy and when we forgive people, we don't open up our hearts again to a situation that would cause us further hurt. So in my own life, I've spoken many times in terms of my own upbringing, in terms of my own relationship, with, particularly with my, with my uh, dad. I have learned how to forgive him. And that's been painful and it's been costly. But it doesn't mean I need to open my heart to further hurt and damage. All right? So I can show mercy, I can be gracious, I can forgive, but I still have to protect my own being from further hurt. And so I have to hold some things at a little bit at arm's length. But Jesus has called me to be forgiving, and I have forgiven, and I have been merciful, and I have shown grace. And for, for you, you may have a situation that is similar or maybe different, where you just, I can't go there again. I don't believe Jesus is asking you to, but he is asking you to do the heart work in terms of forgiveness and showing mercy to those who have hurt you. Forgiveness is about a releasing of a debt. Once the debt is released, it has no hold. It has no hold, people. Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean you have to trust them. You've released the debt. You've released the debt. You've released the debt. You've released the debt. David when he became king, he did an amazing thing. He searched out for Saul's family. He searched for their descendants, his descendants. Why? 
because he wanted to bless them. He wanted to bring God's blessing onto them. Even in those moments, he continued to show mercy and grace. He blessed them. He gave them land. He gave them servants. Jesus calls us to be merciful to those around us. Let's go and be merciful, but let's also protect ourselves from further hurt and abuse. That is not what God's asking you to do. Do, do, you, do you get that? I really want you to get that. I feel that there may be situations in here this morning where forgiveness is still a battle. And that this whole sense of releasing somebody is still something that you are working through and need help with. And I want us to, as we come back in, and mind just leads us in a couple of songs of worship, I just want us to take a moment. Uh, perhaps even, uh, perhaps it is this morning, it's, it's, uh, it is I need to respond to this moment. Uh, uh, and just, so I'm just going to ask you to come and there'll be some seats here at the front. If you just want to come and sit here, just like, Lord, I know this is still a battle for me. I know I want to get through this. I want to be able to release this situation to you. I want in your mercy that you show me to be merciful to those who've hurt me. I know Mick and others will come and pray with you. I want to see some chains broken. I want to see some chains broken that are causing you hurt, causing you damage, and they don't need to be there. Should we stand together? Guys, if you want to just... Okay, let's, um, let's just come before him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your amazing, amazing gift of mercy. I thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. I thank you that in the depth of our sin, condemnation does not come our way. Thank you that in the brokenness of our hearts, you have shown us incredible mercy. You could have wiped us out just as David had that moment with Saul, the spear in his hand. Lord, you could do that with us. But you chose to show us amazing grace, giving us something that we didn't deserve, but also withholding your condemnation from us and showing us incredible mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, you have eternally Forgiveness. Thank you that our salvation is secure in you. Thank you that you love it when we come to you and we receive fresh mercy, we free, receive fresh grace. Thank you that you are the one who wants to deal with rifts in our hearts. Thank you as we come to you and just say, Lord, we for ask for your forgiveness. Lord, it's already forgiven. But now, Lord, we ask you that in the power of your spirit that you have shown us forgiveness we release every person 
we choose to forgive. We choose to release the debt that's over us. Those who have in our past caused us hurt. Those that we have hurt ourselves. We release the debt, Lord. We release the debt.